Okay, so here's what we're going to do. So we, we're in 2 Corinthians, and um, in 2 Corinthians, right, chapter 8 and 9, we talked about the generosity of this gift going to the Jerusalem church. And I really thought it would be good at this point, although this is not a part of what Paul was talking about in chapter 8 and 9. He talked about the heart of generosity, but he did not talk about any kind of percentage or tithing. That was not a part of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Although, as we look here in a little bit, there is a such thing that Israel had, which was a charity tithe, that they took every three years. It was 10% every three years, so it kind of equal out to 33, uh, 3.3, uh, you know, if you average that out over three years. But every third year, they would take an extra tithe, um, a charity tithe, and that would go to Levites, the poor, the widowless. It was their way of taking care of something benevolent, right, where that's almost, although I'm not going to say that's what it was, in chapter 8 and 9, that's really what that gift is. It's a it's a charity kind of gift. They're trying to provide resources for the persecuted and famine relief Jewish saints in Jerusalem. Now, um, but I thought it would be really good to talk about this subject of tithing, right? And here's the reason, because I want to get you in here, and I want to arm twist you, and I want you to go home and look at your tax statement, and I just, I just want to come hard, uh, or threaten you with God's wrath, right, that, uh, you know, the windows of heaven are going to shut off in your life, um, so that's what I want to do, right, y'all, y'all do know I'm joking, right, okay, I want to talk about it because there is a lot of disagreement in this subject matter, and there is a lot of, I think, ignorance in God's people, and here's what I'll tell you, among the theological landscape through the history of Christianity, there is little consensus on this topic. So when you walk out of here today, I am not confident that you will be 100% of going, this is exactly, but I do hope you'll walk out and go, now I know the text of Scripture. Let me go back into my own research of Scripture and let me be convinced in my own conscience of what the Lord wants in this area. Is that is that is that understandable, right? So this is more of a kind of academic education kind of message. And so I'm going to do the best I can to present this without trying to um, murk up the facts or make this too complicated, right? So uh, first, let me just give you an introduction. When, you, when we say the word tithe, right, the word tithe, it means 10%. That's what it means. It means 10% when you hear the word tithe. Some people hear the word tithe and think that's just giving, and I would say no, tithing is giving. But the word tithe literally means a tenth. That's what it is when you see it in the scriptures. It's a tenth of what has been provided to you. Now, and especially in the Old Testament, a lot of it was agricultural. So a lot of it, a tenth could be a tenth of your crops, the first fruits of it. Or it could be the tenth animal that you have, right? So in a, an agricultural society, it looks different than in a monetary society. Now, I guess hypothetically, if... You didn't deal with money and maybe only gold and silver and chickens, then possibly, maybe, then you could bring your tenth chicken up here to church and, you know, stuff it in the box, right? And then, you know, if you, you know, um, you got paid in gold, you know, a tenth of that gold or something, I guess hypothetically you could do it that way, but I don't, I don't really think our economy typically works that way. Um, but that's kind of what it looks like. It's a tenth. So the question now remains is this. Is this something God still wants us to do? Is it still something God wants us to do? Well, let's look at church history and see what some have said about this. And um, I'll call out a name, and maybe you can tell me if you think, you know, 
yes or no, or maybe we can do thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, I don't know. Um, we'll see. Through church history, there have been some who said, yes, I believe the Bible promotes this idea of tithing. Then some have said, no. And I'm talking about legitimate scholarly people. <clears throat> now, I will say this. No one that I'm about to call out these historical names um, and even to the modern day, none of these names would say, don't be generous. No one would say that. They all would say, be generous. Most of them, if they would say no to the principle of tithing, they would say something that God wants you to be generous. And in fact, the tithing, uh, the, a tenth or a tithe is just more limiting. Actually, God would probably want more of you, right? So, any way you get it, none of these guys are saying in church history, don't be generous. But I just thought it would be kind of fun, especially if you're a history person. Okay, any, any of you ever heard of church history, early church history? We're talking about 100, 600 A.D., early church fathers, Clement of Alexandria, Augustine, Jerome. Have you ever heard that name, Justin Martyr? Have you ever heard that name, right? Okay. If you ask Clement of Alexandria and Augustine and Jerome about tithing, Thumbs up or thumbs down? You think they said yes or you think they said no? They said yes. They said yes to it, right? Although, Justin Martyr, he said no. Now remember, none of these guys would say don't be generous. They're just saying they, they would say the principle of tithing from Moses and even before the law does not apply to Christians, right? Let's look at the Middle Ages, right? The Middle Ages, if... Um, that's 600 to 1517 before Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the Jordan Wittenberg, Germany. Let's look at a couple different guys. Thomas Aquinas. Anybody remember Thomas Aquinas? All right. All right. Thumbs up or thumbs down? You think he said yes or no? All right. I've got some yeses back there. Thomas Aquinas said no. He said no. John Wycliffe, right? John Wycliffe, right? Remember him? In, in England, translates the Bible into English. I believe it was from the Latin Vulgate. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs down. No. His follower, John Huss, who kind of prophetically predicted that Martin Luther would come, right, when he was being, uh, when he was being um, excommunicated and killed, he basically predicted that Martin Luther would come in 100 years. That's a long story. John Huss, follower of John Wycliffe. Yes or no? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs down. He said no, right? He follows in the footsteps of his, of his rabbi, right? Okay, let's look at the Reformation. Some of the Reformation guys. Martin Luther. Martin Luther. The Reformation period. 15, 15, 17 to 1648. Martin Luther. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Okay, so what I've read is thumbs up to Jews, but Gentiles thumbs down. Right? That's what I've read. It's a good day to be a Gentile. John Calvin. John Calvin. Thumbs up or thumbs down? John Calvin is, I think, this, ambiguous, right? <laughs> it's hard to discover what he actually, I, that's, that's what I could tell, right? John Smith, he is the, if in Baptist history, it is, it is a lot, would say that he is the, he's the one that started the first Baptist church. These are Baptists, these are separatists from the Church of England. So the establishment of the first Baptist church, right? Um, believe in tithing or not? No. No. Anybody's not. Well, actually, I'm glad you said that, right? Let's go, let's go after the Reformation. After the Reformation. 1648, 18, 
73 after the Reformation. Matthew Henry. How many of y'all have a Matthew Henry commentary, right? Like everybody's a Matthew Henry commentary, right? It's the first commentary I got when, when I became a follower and knew the Lord wanted me to go to ministry. I asked my parents for a gift for my birthday and they said, what do you want? I said, I want a Matthew Henry commentary, right? Matthew Henry commentary. Matthew Henry. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs up, yes. He was a supporter of tithing. Charles Finney, right? Charles Finney. You ever heard of this guy, Charles Finney, right? Um, a lot of tribute, kind of the invitation to him. Charles Finney, yes or no? He was a yes. Okay, what about a guy named Roger Williams, who is the founder of the first Baptist church, or the first Baptist church in the colonies, so the first Baptist church in America, right? Roger Williams, uh, founder of Providence, Rhode Island. Um, oh, it's your relative. Wow. Okay, nice. Pro or no pro for tithing? Thumbs down. No, thumbs down. John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs down, right? John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, right? So here's why I'm telling you all this. Um, now, by the way, all these guys believed in generosity. So what I want to show you is through church history, there is little consensus on this topic matter. So when we walk out of here today, if you're thinking, if I don't agree with Nick, I'm a heretic. No, that's not true. There's good guys on all sorts of um, kind of um, spectrums, right? Now, here's what happened. In 1873, there is what is called in church history tithing renewal. Tithing renewal, where the idea of tithing kind of became very strong. There were some writers that, that wrote during that time period and promoted the idea of tithing, and it caught on in American evangelicalism and tithing, the idea of tithing with God's people of 10% in a structured, disciplined way began to actually popularize. There was a pastor by the name of Thomas Kane who popularized it, and then he had a couple of his followers, a guy by the name of Alexander Hogshead, great last name, and A.W. Miller. Um, they wrote books that became very popular among Christians. So popular that it was even said that during the Great Depression, during the Great Depression, there was more, there was a higher percentage of giving among Christians in the Great Depression than there is today, right? It had become, now, you may wonder, well, why were, if that's true, why were pastors still so poor during that time? Well, although everybody might have been giving 10%, what they had to give was much lower, right? What's happened actually in the evangelical church is the amount of giving now, the average Christian gives below 3%. But we now say, like, wait a minute, we see churches, they have nicer buildings or, you know, there's more paid staff than there used to be. Yes, but but that's because people's incomes have risen, right? People's incomes have risen, which have kind of provided, a, you know, a little bit, you know, a little bit more robustness. But my question is this, what would have happened if Christians would have continued that onslaught as prosperity comes to America, especially over the last 50 years, in such a way that what if Christians were would have been continuing to tithe? My wonder is this. I, I wonder at this point if that's true, there probably wouldn't be a church with a bit of debt or a missionary that hadn't got sent or a need that hadn't been met if God's people had actually maintained what the people during the Depression. So there was a, there was a big resurgence that started in 183. They called it the tithing renewal. Now, that doesn't mean that there's still some guys throughout the history from there to now that support tithing and didn't support tithing, right? 
I'll give you some um, some guys' names, right? John MacArthur. You know John MacArthur? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs down, right? He would be for generous giving, but he would not promote tithe. Billy Graham. Do y'all know who Billy Graham is? You ever heard of Billy Graham? Right? Thumbs up, right? He's a good Baptist, right? W.A. Criswell. Do y'all know W.A. Criswell? Ever heard of him, right? Pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Oh, yeah, he's thumbs up, man. You know, he's a Southern Baptist, right? So, okay, so here's why I tell you all this. Um, I, I have been on a journey when it comes to this idea of tithing in my own life. When I started at 16 became a Christian, the youth pastor I had, the church I went to, it was basically, they trained us to tithe. It was like, you get paid 10% of that, that goes back to the Lord, and then there's and then there's offerings above that, pray to the Lord, see what you can give to missions, to the poor, and that was all I knew, that was all I was trained in, that's all I knew. We were taking Malachi 3, and it was preaching it, it was like, this is what we do, walking in it. Then through the years, I began to look and go, well, wait a minute, It's maybe that's not a slam dunk. Now, no doubt, it wasn't to be, you weren't, not, I was never going to say you weren't going to need to be generous, but as I kind of developed in my theological understanding, I began to kind of look and go, well, wait a minute, maybe the New Testament doesn't have this idea of tithing, because you have the Old Testament, that's the law, the New Testament, the law is gone, and so New Testament Christians, although can be more generous than in the Old Testament, but they, this idea of a tenth is it's really a phased-out idea and concept. Don't really promote it to God's people as much. And most of my explanation has been at least use that as a training wheel. At least use that as a place of, of, of to help you as a benchmark for generosity. Because usually 10% marks a place of sacrifice. Now, but here's something that you can look at historically. There was a guy by the name of Scott Pressler who was a professor at Southwestern Seminary. And he has the largest library artifacts and artwork in the world, the largest library, right, uh, on the subject of stewardship, right? There's no guy that has more books in his library on this topic. And here's, here's, what, he says, um, here's what he says himself. He says that in the last 50 years, the percentages have declined, he said, as the amount of books being written by theologians and pastors have promoted this idea that tithing is not for God's people anymore. Generous grace giving, yes, but tithing, the, the, the giving has gone down because in the last 50 years, and this is a guy who has all the research and all the books on it, he says that more and more books, and it's true, more and more books that are written over the last 50 years take away from this idea of tithing, all encourage generous giving, but this idea of a percentage consideration, where now um, that the average Christian gives below 3 so the question we must ask ourselves, and this is all pragmatic, I haven't gotten to the scriptures yet, but the question I think we've got to ask ourselves is this. Has our belief and the fruit of our belief shown something good? And I'm starting to kind of doubt it. I wonder sometimes. Has the proclivity for us to actually not talk about 10%, has it stripped people of the generosity idea? Now, what some people would at that point kind of say is like, well, Nick, um, how do you know that that it's tithing, not the idea of not promoting that idea anymore? And I would say, here's what I've discovered. When it comes to the idea of go to the Lord, which is a great thing, and pray and be generous, I still hear from God's people a lot of this idea. How do I know if I'm really being generous? Like, 
how do I know? Are y'all with me? Do you understand the question? Like, this question keeps coming up. And it seems like several Christians are fumbling over the place of doubting or wondering in their heart, like, God, am I, like, God, I'm giving, I'm giving this amount, but is this really even, am I really accomplishing something with this? They, they, they almost need a standard wherewith to have some kind of benchmark. So the more and more I keep studying, I start to wonder and go, Maybe the idea of tithing isn't so antiquated. Maybe there may be more evidence to it. What if Christians had at least a benchmark, a place to aim for, without condemnation, but a place to aim? The truth is this. If anybody gives 10% of their income, that typically drastically impacts one's life. It greatly sacrifices. Now, honestly, there's some people that 10% actually won't actually drastically change their lifestyle. And any of those guys like a John MacArthur would clearly say that 10% may not be enough for some people. When you told together all the tithes that Israel paid, basically their national tithe came out to about 23.3% per year, right? That's quite a bit. Now, you can give that, um, you know, and churches will gladly cash those checks, right? But that's kind of what it comes out to. But I do think we need to ask ourselves, Over the last 50 years, we have taught less about tithing. And God's people as a whole are now under 3% on average. But yet, Depression-era saints were at a 10%. Like, something isn't equaling up. Has our teaching actually resulted in generosity? Now, it's not generosity just for the sake of trying to have more. Because we find in the scripture that our hearts are tied to our money. Our hearts are always tied to our money, right? So it's a good thing. Now, as we kind of look at some scriptures, we're going to flip through some scriptures, and um, I'm not going to just give a, a total, uh, like, exhaustive teaching, but I kind of want to get you familiar with the landscape. But I'll tell you what something God has changed me. My theology used to be, if it's in the Old Testament, and only if it confirms it in the New Testament do I believe it, right? That used to be, that was actually what I was taught. But through the years... Um, I think I've come more to the idea of, well, the Old Testament says it, but yet I don't see any canceling of it in the New Testament. There's, I can still embrace that, right? Uh, or, you know, or I don't see a category that does away. Like, for instance, in the Old Testament, right? Don't we, we see animal sacrifices, right? But Jesus fulfilled the animal sacrifices, right? So there's, I'm not here in the back, you know, we're not going to build like a brazen altar back here and let you bring, you know, the, the tenth goat of your herd, right? And we're going to sacrifice that. I mean, I mean, you know, if you want to bring a cow over and maybe we can, like, you know, cut it up and quarter it and put it in our deep freeze, maybe. That could work. But when you start looking at the subject matter, that's where you run. When you study it, basically those who have a theological grid, which I think is still a credible place in history, most that would say we have the Old Testament, and only if the New Testament says yes, can we take anything from the Old Testament, which I do not believe is not is I believe is a credible interpretation grid. Typically, those people in that grid, which would be some in our church, would you would typically look at it and go, tithing, there's nothing about it. It's gone. It's a part of Israel's system. You know, do away with it. Just be a generous grace giver. Let the Holy Spirit lead you to what you're going to give in totality. Valid view. There would be some in our church that would have the view of, the Old Testament says it, unless it gets abrogated or canceled out in some way in principle precept that we see in the New Testament, that that principle would still be here. 
tense. Although, wouldn't that be awesome, right? Just like, uh, no, maybe. I mean, I, you know, Messianic Jewish congregations, that's what they do. They, like, get together and sleep out in tents and stuff for a whole week, you know. What a, what a great way to bond, right? So, no. So, most of those kind of Christians with that grid of going, of which we have both in our church, of Old Testament, if nothing abrogates it in the New Testament, we need to assume uh, a, a, that principle continues, would not say give a tithe for festivals, but would say there may be an overarching principle of 10% that we see running throughout the length of Scripture. Although, I've pared that down to two theological grids that both exist in our church. Not all those are exact agreement. Because as we can tell in church history, is there unanimous agreement on tithing? No, absolutely not. Everybody agrees to be generous. But as I jump into some scriptures, here's what I want to point out to you, right? And I was hoping, do we have any? Who's the smallest person in here? Ella? Geneva, could Geneva ride a bike yet? No, okay. Well, I won't do that to you, but I got bare minimum to shoot for, or you just believe we're under a different dispensation of just grace and there's no percentage to shoot for. Whatever you believe, I would say this, 10% is a great place of training for generosity because 10% will affect your life in some way. It will cause you to want to be, it will cause you to question your heart. It will expose uh, the generosity. It will expose whether you love money or Love God, because the scriptures tell us you can't serve God and money. You can't do that at the same time. You'll love one, hate the other. Okay, is everybody still with me? Are y'all still with me? Amen? Okay. Do this. Take your Bible. We're going to look through a couple of scriptures. Genesis 14. Go to Genesis 14, verse 17 through 24. By the way, this message is not meant to be the end all. I expect more conversations after we get done today. I expect questions, and those will be good. And maybe we could have a more of a two or three part class or something and just talk about that. Genesis chapter 14, verse 17. That's the first book of your Bible, right? So, did y'all know that? Okay. Verse 17. So basically, Abraham has to bail out Lot. Not a common, uncommon thing, right? Where Lot is captured, Abraham comes to get him. He has the spoils of war, and he's met. He meets this guy, Melchizedek. We don't know much about Melchizedek, but we know that Melchizedek, we don't get his genealogy. And then by the time we get to the New Testament in Hebrews 7, Melchizedek is, is as a picture, is a shadow of Christ. And it actually shows that, that it is trying to parallel that Jesus is a better priest than the uh, than the Levitical priesthood because uh, because Abraham gave tithes to Mez- Melchizedek who was 
before the law of Moses, right? So there's a principle that some people say. They'll say, okay, law of Moses, whether you believe whatever interpretation grid you have, right? Whether it's, okay, Old Testament, you, you keep going unless it gets canceled out or, or what we could say abrogated in the New Testament or, hey, New Testament comes, it has to directly confirm something from the old. Whatever you have, most of those two sides can at least say this sometimes. Well, before the law was ever given, we see at least a principle of tithing somewhere. So we see right here in this text, read it, I'll read it for you. It says this, Then after he came back from striking down Chedlamir, and the kings that were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheba. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, a communion meal of some sort. Now he was a priest of the Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham, the God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Lot got captured. Um, Abraham comes in, delivers him from five from five kings, get Lot, gets Lot back, comes back with the spoils of war. This priest meets him, the priest of the Most High God, and it says at the end of verse 20, then he gave him what? A tenth of all. Now these are the spoils of war. Some would say, well, that doesn't matter because the spoils of war, that has nothing to do with really giving. But some would say, well, wait a minute. We see something in principle that he realized that this was a greater, this was a great priest. This was a priest that existed before the priesthood of the Levites during Moses' time, and Abraham's giving him a tenth. Right? So some would say, oh, we see the principle of tithing before the law of Moses. It's a principle that runs through genera- through through history. Alright? Now do this. Go over to um, Genesis chapter 28. Let me show you another portion. By the way, this is not um, exhaustive. Now there's more to the debate. We're going to look at Hebrews 7 here in just a bit. But just to kind of start off. There was the idea of tithing. There's debate on how to interpret that text, but the idea of it did exist before the law of Moses, right? So whether you, whatever you believe how to interpret from the Old to the New Testament, there is a space to say it existed before. Genesis 28, right? In Genesis 28, verses 10 through 22, this is Jacob's dream, right? Um, he is now he has now had to leave because he tricked his dad into the into the blessing. He already had Esau's birthright. He's on the run, doubting, you know, it's really doubtful what's going to happen. Um, but now the Lord in his kindness reconfirms his promises to Abraham, extending to Jacob. And also this has a pointing to Jesus aspect as well. But I want you to notice some things. In verse 10 it says this, and Jacob departed from Beersheba, this is Genesis 28:10, and went toward Haran. And he reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. Man, a rock is a good pillow, I guess, right? We've been doing it all wrong this whole time. Then he had a dream, and behold, a ladder stood on the earth. With its top reaching heaven, behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, Yahweh stood above it and said, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land which you lie. I will give it to you in your seed. This is the Abrahamic promise. This was going to be the land for the children of Israel, the land for which the Messiah would come. Verse 14, And your seed will also be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And you and your seed shall all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He was reconfirming the, the covenant promises with Abraham, the Abrahamic promise. Verse 15, 
15, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, because he was leaving to go to Laban, right, for time. For I will not forsake you, having done what I have promised. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely Yahweh is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How fearful is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of God. By the way, the Hebrew word used there for house of God is Bethel. If you ever see a church that's called Bethel Church, right? That means house of God, right? So, verse 18, so Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone. By the way, we're going to do a little scripture reading today. Are you all okay with that? A little tough. It's happening anyways, right? Okay. So Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on, on its top. I could not imagine the back problems he had after that night of sleep. And he called the name of the place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city was Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey on which I am going and will give me food to eat and garment to wear and return me to my father's house in peace, then Yahweh will be my God. Now this stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and all of that you shall give me. I will surely give a what? A tenth to you. Now, he's saying in the future. Now, some would say, this doesn't matter. It's not like he did anything with a tenth right now. We don't read when he was laboring anything about a tenth. So that would be the detracting voice. But some would go, well, he has, there's a deal where he's saying, God, if you're faithful to your promise, I will give a tenth of whatever you give me. I'll be leaving here, but I'll be coming back, and I'll be faithful with a tenth. So I'm showing you these two texts because these are before the law of Moses. Some would look at this. Some of those who put the thumbs up and would go, I see the principle of responding to God with the generosity of giving a tenth. Now, there's a lot of more discussion to have in these texts, but that's just kind of putting it on the surface. Does everybody understand that? It's just a surface put. Now, let's go down to the law of Moses, which is much more confusing, right? How many of y'all have ever read the law of Moses regarding giving and wondered what is going on here? Okay, go to Leviticus chapter 27, everybody's favorite book. Leviticus 27. I will try not to get us caught in the weeds here, but let me lay this out the best I can. I have a quote I want to read to you. And in this quote, what you're going to see is, is there are some who read the law of Moses, right? And go, okay, in the law of Moses, some would say, I see only one tithe overall, not Three separate tithes or five separate tithes that some theologians say, they would say, I see only one tithe. And the reason they say that is they, they see an evolution in Israel's history of different way, but it's basically one 10% tithe. And that's one theological position. There's another theological position that says, I see two tithes in Israel in its history, right? One that goes, that would be more the religious tithe that goes to the Levites, and then the other would be more the festival kind of tithe, right? So there are some that have the two tithe theory. Then there's some that is probably the predominant view. It's the three tithe theory. That would be one that would say there was one, there was a 10% tithe given to the Levites yearly, uh, the religious tithe. Then there was a second that was for the feast and festivals tithe. Um, and that was every year. And then there was a third, which was every three years you gave a tenth, which was a charity tithe, right? That's the three-tithe view. Hey, and guess what? There's more. There's a five-tithe view, right? Those are the really spiritual guys, right? There's a five-tithe view, but we're not going to look at that right now, although it's credible. I just think we could be confused.
the law of Moses, which goes towards the tribe of Levi because they had no land inheritance. They had no land inheritance. The Levites, all the other tribes got, got land inheritance. The Levites didn't. So they were supported by the tithe of the people yearly. Within the Levites, they took care of the spiritual, the spiritual things. They were the ones that were transporting the tabernacle, right? And then within the Levites, you have direct priests, like high priests and priests that would actually administer inside the, 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 uh, inside the tabernacle. What was really interesting is the Levite ties, the children, the Israel would tie to the Levites. They had no land inheritance. That was how they were supported. And then the Levites from within that tithe would do another tie for the priests, right? Those who were actually doing the direct offering of animals, the high priest who was going in on the Day of Atonement. So that's the Levitical tithe. Then we'll take a look at the festival tithes, and then we'll take a look at the charity tithe, right? Now let me show first the Levitical tithe. Leviticus 27, if you've got your Bible, Leviticus 27, let me read it for you, verse 30 through 33. Thus all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the tree belongs to Yahweh, it is holy to Yahweh. If therefore a man wishes to redeem part of that tithe, he shall add to it one-fifth. For every tithe, part of the herd or flock, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth shall be holy to Yahweh. He shall not inquire whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. For if he does exchange it, then both it and its substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. So this is the first mention in the law of Moses in Leviticus of a tithe. And some of the, you know, peculiarities of it, for instance, your tenth, your tenth goat, you weren't supposed to go, okay, this is a tenth goat that I've had, but, oh, that one looks really too good. Let me take that tenth goat and put it into the back, right, and put the, this really terrible one that was goat number five, right? You weren't supposed to do that. You were supposed to do literally, like, you know, what the Lord had provided, right? So... You want to switch your animals around or the best. You want to give the first fruits of it, right? So this is the first mention of it. Now, that's Leviticus 27. Now turn to Numbers 18, which many would say Numbers 18 is giving more data on that Levitical tithe, is opening up and expanding it. When we get to Numbers, we've got the children of Israel down the line here in the wilderness. And you go to Numbers 18, and some would go, hey, we are now expanding um, you know, we're expanding upon the um, the Levitical tithe some, expanding its understanding. So go to verse 20 of Numbers 18. Is everybody there? Numbers 18, verse 20. It's just a it's just a couple it's just a couple books over. All right. And actually, I believe I told you I believe I told you wrong. Hold on here. No, I believe I told you the time period of this one. I don't believe, yeah, they were in the, yeah, okay. No, I didn't tell you wrong. All right, back up. Disregard what I just said. All right, verse 20. Then Yahweh said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in your land, nor your own portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel, right? Now to the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel as an inheritance in returning for the service which they performed, the service of the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. And the sons of Israel shall not come near the tent of meeting again, um, or they will bear sin and die. So basically, 
the regular Israelites didn't do the temple ministry. This is for the Levites and then certain Levites within it. For instance, there were Kohathite. The Kohathite Levites, they carried the um, the furniture of the inside. The Gershom ones, they carried all the out exterior stuff. But nonetheless, he basically said, the common people just don't come. There are Levites. There are priests within Levites that do this ministry. They have no inheritance. Their inheritance is the Lord. There's a yearly tithe of 10% that goes to take care of that ministry in them. Verse 23. Only the Levites shall perform the service of the tent of meeting. They shall bear the iniquity. They shall be a perpetual statue throughout your generations among the sons of Israel. They who have no inheritance. For the tithe of the sons of Israel, which they raise up as a contribution offering to Yahweh, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said concerning them, they shall have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. So, those in the law of Moses will go, okay, here we see Leviticus 27. This expounds on Leviticus 27, Deuteronomy 18. This Levitical tithe, 10%, went to the Levites. Now, watch, even within that, because certain Levites were priests, right? Verse 25, And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Moreover, you shall speak to the Levites and say to them, When you take from the sons of Israel the tithe which I have given you for them for an inheritance, then you shall raise up a contribution offering from it to Yahweh a, what does it say? So, among the Levites, not all Levites were direct priests inside the temple. The Levites had lots of different jobs responsibilities, but basically the thing is, this tithe that came to the Levites as a tribe, also they took a tithe of that to take care of the priests that had some of the more direct inside work towards the t- towards the tabernacle. Levitical tithe, all right? Go to, um, so that's the Levitical tithe. That's a little bit about it, kind of on the surface. Now let's go to the festival tithe. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12. So that's 10%. Now, there's another tithe, a yearly tithe. Now, how many festivals did the Lord command Israel to go to do the traveling pilgrim festivals? Anybody know how many? There were three. There were three that they were to travel. The Passover, the, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. This is the traveling festivals. They would contribute towards it. It would be a time of celebration. It would also be a time of sharing. And there was a tithe taken. Um, there are some denominations that even who try to stay with this, where they'll actually tithe in their denomination. Um, it's not mainstream. But where they'll have like their general tithing, and then they'll have their religious bodies do a second tithe, and that all sets aside. And then when some of these festivals would happen on the church calendar, they would all gather. Like they'd, they'd put together a festival tithe, and then when it comes time, they'd go rent out a big campground, right, and camp out for a week, and all the food and supplies are bought for it, which, you know, kind of like a, you know, I kind of look at that as like kind of like a party tithe, right? I mean, man, wouldn't that be awesome, right? Maybe not. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 12. Look at verse 17. This is a festival tithe. You are not allowed to eat within your gates the tithe of your grain or the new wine or oil or the firstborn of your flock or herd or any of your votive offerings which you now vow or your freewill offerings or the contribution of the, your hand but you shall eat them before Yahweh your God in the place which Yahweh your God will choose, you and your sons and daughters, your male and your female slave, and the Levite who is within your gates. And you shall be glad before Yahweh your God and all that that you send forth uh, forth your hand to do. 
So we have a festival time. Now turn over to chapter 14, verse 22. A, a, a more detailed explanation of the festival time. Look at Leviticus 14. This is the second 10% tithe that Israel took. Verse 22. You shall surely tithe. This is chapter 14, verse 22. You shall surely tithe of all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. And you shall eat in the presence of Yahweh your God in the place where he chooses his name to dwell. Remember, they weren't in the promised land. That was the place where they were going to dwell. The, te- the permanent temple wasn't there yet, right? They were still in the wilderness. Saying, when that day comes, the tithe of your grain, verse 23, the new wine, the oil, the firstborn of your herd, your flocks, so that you may learn to fear Yahweh your God all your days. And if the distance is so great for you that you're not able to tithe, since the place where Yahweh your God chooses to set his name is too far away from you, then Yahweh your God blesses you, and you shall exchange it for money, and bind the money on your hand, and go to the place which Yahweh your God chooses. It's pointing out there are going to be the Passover, the Feast of Weeks and Tabernacles. You're going to travel. If you can't travel with your animals, you can then you can then sell them. When you get there to Jerusalem, you can then exchange it and buy animals, right? That kind of leads us into why were there money changers at the temple? Of, of Why people would want to buy animals? It says in verse 26, And you shall spend the money on whatever your heart desires, for the ox, for the sheep, for the wine, for the strong drink, whatever your heart desires, there you shall eat in the presence of Yahweh your God, and be glad, you and your household. So this is a festival tithe. So we have a Levitical tithe, and then these last two scriptures have been the festival tithe, another 10%. But this was really taken in community. It was part of their feasting and festival, shared with everybody. It was a time to commemorate, and these feasts and festivals point to Christ. Most would say that tithe is gone because that was a ceremonial thing. That's not a part. That has been fulfilled. Christ is a fulfillment of the ceremonial. There are some that would say the Levitical tithe, that principle still exists in the sense that the Levites were God's way of, of taking care of the ministry and that today God has a way of taking care of the ministry, not through Levites, but through his local church. He has pastors and missionaries and church in a church body that need support and that's how we take care of it so there are some in the kind of theology of the world of tithing that would still parallel it although all would take that that festival tithe and go that's been kind of taken out of the system now let me give you the third one the charity tithe are y'all still with me are you okay you with, with me okay man this is more cerebral it's like man i don't feel the warm and fuzzies from this what do you will in a minute Probably not. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm just trying to. Now go to um, Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 10 through 16. This is what we call the charity tithe. So you have the yearly Levitical tithe, 10%, the yearly festival tithe for the three feasts, right? So now Israel's giving 20%. Then you have a third tithe every three years called the charity tithe, right? For the poor, for those that needed it. now, some would take that charity tithe and they try to combine it with the Levitical tithe. That's how some people get the two tithing system. It, 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 it's, to me, it's not much to qualm about. Now, look at verse 10. This is the charity tithe. Right? I'm sorry, look at verse 12. I'm sorry, look, go to verse 12. When you have finished paying all the tithes of your produce in the, what year does it say? Third year. The year of tithing. Then you shall give it to the Levite, to the sojourner, to the orphan, to the widow, that they may eat within your gates and be satisfied. Then 
say to Yahweh your God, I have purged the sacred portion from my house. I've also given to the Levite, to the sojourner, to the orphan, to the widow. According to your commandments, which you have commanded me, I have not trespassed against or forgotten any of your commandments. So, that's the third year tithe given for the poor. Now, we've talked about 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 the last couple of weeks. Guess what? That, that, that giving gift for Jerusalem church almost parallels somewhat of a charity tithe, right? Almost. There are actually some churches that they have a, like in their budget system, here's what they'll do. They'll take, I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm just saying when, you know, trying to take principles and stuff. I've seen some churches actually take their yearly budgets and then they'll basically try to do a 3.3% of our budget, whatever comes in, we're going to set aside for the needs of the congregation. If someone loses their job, if someone, you know, that we have direct access and resources on hand, I'm not saying that's a law you have to do. I'm saying these are different ways in history you see people trying to take some principles. So this is the, the ties of the law of Moses, right? Now, Many of you are familiar with Malachi 3. We're not going to look at that one, but basically what's happening is Israel wasn't tithing, right? And so there was trying to be a revival of tithing after they came back from uh, from um, from Babylonian captivity. Um, even Nehemiah kind of gets on to them and has to reestablish the tithing, and it's really the Levitical tithing when you look in the book of Nehemiah. If you're a person who's taking notes, I'm just going to, for sake of time, I'll give you some references. If you were to read... Nehemiah 10, verse 37 through 38, you can see that Nehemiah gets the Levitical tithe restored and back up. This is after they come back from being from the deportation. Nehemiah 13, 4 through 12, you can see the Levitical tithe getting restored again, which a lot would say, wait a minute, if that's the one that was most important, there must be something to it. Okay, so now we've covered the law of Moses in kind of a snapshot. So here's what we have so far. We have the law before Moses, right? We have tithing before the law of Moses, which some would go, man, that was a principle that already existed. If Abraham tithed, if Jacob had that on his heart to tithe, maybe that's a principle of generosity in response to God that already exists. You have the law of Moses with really three separate tithes, a Levitical tithe, a Festival tithe, a charity tithe, 10% for the Levitical, 10% for the festival, 10% every three years for the charity. This is something that God's people did. Well, we roll into the New Testament now. And what does the New Testament say? We'll go to Matthew 23. Y'all still with me? Aren't you so glad you came today? If you're kind of like, Nick, you lost me a long time ago, all right? Here's the message you need to walk out with. Give 23%. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought I heard Nick say 23%. He didn't say that. He's like, no, I thought he did. And I, and I probably won't correct it, right? I'll just let you do it. Okay, verse 23. Uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Jesus is... Uh, Jesus is giving the woes to the scribes and Pharisees, right? And look what he says right here. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Basically, these are their gar- this is their garden herbs, right? They were they were so um, they were so strict that they tithe even their garden ingredients, right? That's how far it goes. So, you know, if you've been growing oregano, 
you better get that tithe in here and drop it in the box, right? So that's kind of what's been going on. So Jesus is getting on to them and says, you have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. Basically saying, you've been so strong, even to the smallest thing like garden herbs, but you don't care about justice and mercy and faithfulness to those who are vulnerable. But these are the things you should have done without doing, what does he say? Neglecting the others. Now, some would look at this and go, the, the point of the text is not Jesus isn't even talking about tithing. He's getting on to the Pharisees and scribes for all their hypocrisy. Yes, but then one side would look at that and go, but it's it would have been an opportunity. Like, why would Jesus even mention you should keep the tithe thing going on the other side, right? So some would look at it and go, wait a minute, maybe there is some evidence of it right here. It looks like Jesus at least is commending it, although the context is not about tithing, but but you can see the material on the ground that Jesus says, you did that, but you should have done justice and mercy, but don't neglect the other. That actually is something good. You're making sure there's generosity. So there would be some that would see that text and go, I see it. Now go to Luke 18. This is a parable, which once again, you got to be careful on arriving at doctrine from a parable. This is Luke 18. Now, we'll, we'll pick up in verse 10, and the basic gist of what was going on is there was a Pharisee that thought he was righteous, and Jesus is trying to give him a heavenly story with an earthly message. He's trying to point out to the man that he was not humble, did not see his own sin at all. So he tells him a story. His name's Simon. It's not his disciple Simon. It's a Pharisee. It says in verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray. This is Luke 18 and 10. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. If you know anything about tax collectors, no one liked them. Everybody loves tax collectors today, right? Amen? Yeah. That's why I don't know one. No one admits to it, right? And the Pharisee stood and was praying these things to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Not much being said commendable about this guy. And then he says, but the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, was beating his chest and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So some would see this, although the point of the text is not tithing, but they would say, wait a minute, Jesus is giving a earthly example of someone who's a hypocrite, but he mentions the idea that this guy's actually still tithing, right? That he's now he's tithing in a religious, hypocritical fashion, but it's not something that Jesus is condemnable. Why would he even put that in there if it's not something for you to still, like, like you know, conceptualize? Now realize, there are, there are all sorts of disagreements on that. I'm just trying to show you the reality of the text. Final text is Hebrews chapter 7. Final text that we'll, text we'll look at, Hebrews chapter 7. Y'all remember when we showed um, Abraham a while ago, right? He gave a tenth to Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God. It was, this is... That Melchizedek is going to come up right here. In the book of Hebrews, it's describing Jesus as greater and better than everything, right? 
He's better than the sacrificial system. He's better than the Levite system, right? Than the Levitical priesthood system. The Levitical priesthood system had a high priest who would go once a year and would offer atonement in the Holy of Holies for the people's sins, and he had to do it again the next year. The book of Hebrews points out and says there's a better high priest than that priest. That priest was a sinner and had to come back each year. There's one priest, Jesus, who is the ultimate high priest who only had to do it once and it was sufficient. That's the point that Hebrews is trying to make. Now pick up with that thought, and I want you to go to verse 4. He says, the author says, Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. Are y'all seeing back from Genesis 14? And those indeed are the sons of Levi, who received the priest's office, have a commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people. So verse 5, he's saying, the Levitical tithe in Israel, the Levites received 10% from the people, right? So it happened. Now, what the author is going to try to do and say is say, as great as the Levitical priesthood, it's not as great as the priesthood of Jesus, because Jesus' priesthood is like the Melchizedek priesthood, in the sense that Melchizedek in chapter 14, we don't know who this guy is, but we don't have his genealogy. There, so, so we don't have his genealogy. I mean, this guy is of a higher priority than Levi, right? This guy shadows Jesus, the one who is eternally God. So keep looking in verse um, 5. He says, that is from their brothers, although these are descended from Abraham. Verse 6, but the one whose genealogy is not traced from them had collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. So verse 6 he says, Melchizedek has no genealogy in Genesis. Levi does. Melchizedek doesn't. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. And in the case of mortal men receiving tithes, but in this case, one receives them in whom it is witnessed that he lives on. So the author is saying, Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek because Melchizedek actually supersedes Levi because Melchizedek points us to someone who is greater than the Levitical priestly system, and that's Jesus. He says in verse 9, And so to speak, though Abraham, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes. For he is still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, for perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law. What further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek? Uh, and not be designed according to the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, the necessity there takes place, and the change of law also. So, it's confusing might be basically what he's saying is, the Melchizedek priesthood superseded and was superior to Levi's, like Jesus, the Melchizedekian kind of king, right? Or priest, right? Y'all like I kind of put that word out there? I don't even know if that's a real word, right? It's superior. Now, the point of this is not tithing in that text. That's not the author's authorial intent. His intent is to point out that Jesus is better than even Levitical, even Melchizedek. But don't pull away from this idea that there is a recognizing that when someone is greater, like Melchizedek, Abraham tithes. And there's Jesus who is greater even than Aaron and Melchizedek. Some Christians would say, I see a principle of tithing here that there is one greater than Melchizedek, and it's Jesus. And there is this sustaining thing that God has had, that God has always had a system of taking care of his work, a system of generosity in response to worship, and it's called 10%. There will be several that have that system. Now listen, 
I will not qualm with people and, and go, man, I don't know if anybody gives. But I will say, more and more as I look back, I'm starting to wonder if we have done a disservice in the evangelical world of ridiculing tithing to such a point that now it's indicting. A Depression-era Christian was giving more percentage-wise than we are, even with our crazy inflation, right? That's indicting. I'm wondering, right now, there are Bible colleges and there are churches that are closing for lack of funding, right? There is, there is a wealth of transfer that, of, of people that are about to go into glory and they've amassed quite a bit of wealth and they're going to pass that wealth on to more than likely Christians who don't believe in giving more than 3%. I'm wondering, have we maybe messed it up? And I'm not trying to be just pragmatic. I'm wondering, in the overall system of God's economy, has God always established a generosity of 10% so that all of the needs that, that, that the church and the poor and the caring could actually happen? I would tell you this. If every church in America was tithing and every member was giving 10%, there would never be another separate offering taken. There would never be other needs. Every need would be fully supplied if God's people were able to do that. Does that make sense what I'm saying? But we'll have to go to the Lord, do your own study. In the end, be generous with a grateful and thankful heart. Hey, can we stand to our feet? And I'm going to pray for us. Hey, well done, church. Man, y'all are so awesome that y'all would listen to a message like this. And... And not bust a window out and just, you know, bail. Y'all are so awesome. I hope the Lord uses this. I want to pray over our time and we're going to pass out the Lord's Supper. And as we're passing it out, uh, we're going to sing a hymn together. Um, so let me pray for our time. Father, would you now prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper as we prepare to dismiss? I don't know if this message has been confusing or adequate or helped clear up the history of it. I don't know. But take it, use it, and now may the husbands and wives go home and talk about what they are giving to not only the church, but to the poor, to missions, An examination of scripture, good robust conversations, a struggle in it. And may even this just be the tip, even myself, would you even continue to keep, um, we're always reforming, even for me, where there's still unclarity and in subjectiveness, provide greater clarity into the text of Scripture. It's sufficient. It's the authority. I bless our time as we now commemorate you and God's people said, Amen.